What is up, everybody? How you living? How you doing? It is the Monday after the wild card round in the playoffs. It is January 8th. I am Adam Lefko. Oh, baby. And we're back. Kyle is getting coffee. So currently it is Russ and I, and Kyle will be joining us soon. Russ, how you feeling, brother? Good morning. When it's just us, it gets a little bit weird. So welcome to a weird morning. Before we get fully underway, uh, we'd like to talk to you really briefly about Thursday, Thursday night, 7 to 9 at Carlino's Market in Ardmore. We're going to be doing a live show, and as we've been talking about, there's going to be a $500 Super Bowl catering party uh, spread giveaway. If you are in attendance, they are going to raffle it off. Again, that's $500 worth of food and goods from Carlino's Market in Ardmore. You may know them from Ardmore, maybe from Westchester. It's the same same owners, same people, great people, fantastic food, $500 giveaway. If you are in attendance, they will cater your Super Bowl party, so you want to be there. I know quite a few people of, of mine are going to be there, so we're looking forward to seeing you there. It's 7 to 9 p.m. I guess it's better to indicate that. 7 to 9 p.m. on Thursday night. And in case you're wondering, that also, uh, I guess it's going to be a little bit of a recap. The Sixers are playing in London earlier that day, so we'll have plenty to talk about. Come on out. I think some of the guys who write for the website are also going to be there, so it'll be a nice night. Uh, come out. Yeah, and get some of, what is the food that you like to get oh, there? Love the meatballs. We actually, we did our bottle swap party over the weekend, and uh, investor Jeff went and picked up some meatballs from Carlinos. Fantastic. Man, that's exciting. Um, all right, so I know the Sixers drubbed the shit out of the, the Pistons, uh, and we're going to talk football. I'm just kind of waiting for Kyle to get back before we start breaking that down. Uh, were you, though, excited? Like, of the three teams that could play the Eagles, the Falcons, the Panthers, or the Saints, were you, where, where do you stand with the Falcons? Um, admittedly, I'm, I'm worried about any of those teams. Um, the, the Falcons, I don't know. There, there's something about the Julio Jones factor. Uh, you've been saying for a while that Ronald Darby is a pass interference liability. And I keep having nightmares about uh, Julio pulling a double move and, and Darby just hanging on for dear life. That's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I don't know much about the rushing attack. Um, I would assume that the Eagles are going to be stout against the run and turn it into a passing game. Um, I, I would have felt better if, if I knew that, you know, it was going to be six degrees again against them, but, um, I think it's supposed to be 50 and maybe rainy. So I, I don't know. Carolina scared me a little bit just from the standpoint that I expected Cam Newton to, uh, to break down, get out of the pocket and run, even if it was cold out. Some people thought that, you know, he might kind of wilt under the pressure and, and in the cold, he might just quit. And I don't think Matt Ryan's going to do that. So I don't know a ton about Atlanta. I haven't watched many of their games. So I'm I'm kind of indifferent. I'm still just as worried about the Eagles as I guess I ever was. I don't necessarily think there was a great matchup from from what I've seen on Twitter from from people who seem to know more than I do. They say that it could theoretically be a good matchup. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's look, I think it's interesting that a 6 seed upsets the 3 seed and they become the first away favorite against a 1 seed in the history of football. Atlanta starting off as a two-and-a-half to three-point favorite. Um, I I think the Eagles have a chance. Like, I think the Eagles legitimately have a chance. You're taking a, a true dome team that is coming from the West Coast uh, after having played a week, and you're getting them outside in the rain where 
when they were going to make a run to the Super Bowl last year, you beat them. And beat them pretty handily. I think it's obviously a scary matchup just because people need to realize, the people I'm sure in Philadelphia realize, the value of Carson Wentz. Vegas used to value apparently Carson Wentz at four and a half. Russ, remember when me and Kyle talked about how uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady were like seven-point guys? Yep. That if they didn't play, the the line would change by seven. Well, apparently, the last few weeks, Carson Wentz was deemed a four-and-a-half-point guy. But after seeing Nick Foles, he's been moved to a seven-point guy. Jeez. So that's why... Uh, that's why the line is where it is and not a pick em game is because they believe that Nick Foles was, is seven points less than Carson Wentz, which is probably accurate. Um, I feel like Nick Foles is somewhere between what we've seen the last two games and the Giants game. Like, I feel like he's not as bad as he was in the Raiders and... Um, uh, Cowboys, but I also don't think he's four touchdowns, 200 and something against the Giants. Like, I feel like he's somewhere in the middle, but I look at this Falcons team, they're a really, really good defense. People think it's all offense. Their offense was very okay. They averaged 22 points per game this year, but it's mainly the speed of this defense. Grady Jarrett has been a really good defensive lineman. Deion Jones is one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL. Uh, and their secondary is good, but they can be taken advantage of. But I look at the Eagles, and I, I look at some of the upsets this weekend. Tennessee started off their second half against Kansas City with like an eight-minute, nine-minute drive. And that changed the game and put a lot of pressure on Kansas City. Um, I look at the other game, which was Atlanta. And Atlanta, man, they controlled the ball to start the second half, too. And there was a number of, of fumbled punts and special teams gaffes for the Rams. And I, I look at the Eagles and I go, man, if they were to play them straight up, no turnovers and all that, this is going to be, I really think it's going to come down to the freaking wire. Um, but the fact that the Eagles have a chance, you know, my sliding scale, if the Eagles beat the Falcons and go to the NFC Championship game, I'm pretty happy. Because I I would, like, expect them to lose this game but they definitely have a chance to win it you know just if they can if they can establish a real power game I think and not play like carrot blunt in the beginning this could be a game where they shorten it and have a chance because I think the defense is going to play fantastic like I know that Julio Jones and, and Russ I'm right there with you I think that's my fear too which is the double moves with uh, Muhammad Sanu or Julio Jones Oh, who's yawning today, buddy? Yeah, well, I was on time. Uh, that's what happens. And then uh, I just I think the Eagles' defense though is is being forgotten so much right now. Like I just I think that everyone's writing off the Eagles and they're not thinking about the fact that the Falcons' offense really isn't that great this year, and that they should play well, but. Um, I don't know. I haven't taken in a ton of uh, Philly media. Uh, I've seen a few uh, emoji-filled tweets, but that's really it. Are people confident right now? I don't know. I, I I think a lot of people are kind of coming around to where I've been living in, which is just 
I, I don't know. I, I think I think like the, the entire narrative of and like the feeling that surrounded this team, any positive juju that existed at any point, I think, has mostly gone away. And I I feel like I kind of feel bad in a sense because it feels like full Negadelphia is coming to fruition. I do think that some people like I said, there there were a few people, I think like Mac now is one of them. There are a few other people on Twitter who were saying that this is a good matchup. I think Elliot Shore Parks kind of waffled back and forth between whether or not he thought it was a good matchup. I don't have everybody's. I think it's a great matchup in terms of the Eagles being reminded for two weeks that they're going to be an underdog. Like, when has a, a one team ever had that kind of motivation? I think the last time, hey. what did they say? The last time that a, a one seed started. It's never happened. No, 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 but like a, not, not with the added... Um, I, I thought it was 1970 or something was the last time that a number one was... Uh, was supposed to, I guess, was like the underdog in the first round of the playoffs. I thought I saw that somewhere. Yeah, I think it's the first time ever. I, I know this, man. The line right now is three, and if that keeps going, the Eagles are a really good bet. Like, getting this a, a much better team at home, uh, even without the quarterback, yeah, I, with that kind of a line, just from a betting perspective, Really, I mean, really attractive to bet on the Eagles. Really attractive, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's it's gonna be rough. By the way, it was the thing that I was looking at was uh, Football Outsiders says that they're the no- first number one seed to be an underdog in the divisional round since 1970. But I don't know. Um, I wanna I wanna believe that they have a chance. I I just ha- they do. I, they I do. just hate the fact. I hate the fact that so much of what the season was is just no longer possible. Like, I think... Yeah, but I, you got to move on from yeah. that shit. Like, I dealt with people at work. They were like, sorry, you're still upset. And I was like, no, motherfucker, I processed that shit like five weeks ago. I said, the, the process that I'm in right now is, um, if they win, great. I feel like I'm now uh, the, the one-on-one basketball game, but I'm the person that stinks. So no one's expecting us to win. And if we do, we shock the world, you know? So... I feel like we're. I, I want to just think that we're playing with house money right now. Where would you rate? Like, where would you rate their defense? Atlanta's defense. Uh, it's definitely top five. Like, see, that's that's, that's like, petrifying to me. Yeah, but also, but dude, we have a top five defense too, and they do not have a top five offense. They they do not. Better offensive weapons. A, they have a yeah, but here's the thing: they have a smaller mobile offensive line. And the reason that it kind of matched up well with the Rams is the Rams a very attacking defense. Aaron Don, all those guys get up the field, and Atlanta was able to kind of take advantage of some of those tracks and run at those gaps. The Eagles defense with the defensive line should control the entire running game. Like the Falcons really, their running game really should not have that much success. Now, Julio is was banged up last week, and now he's got to travel. They could double-team him. I mean, look, Jim Schwartz, if you are going to be the big head coaching candidate, then you better dial up some real good shit with two weeks to prepare. That's just the truth. Jim, you better not be all-out blitzes leaving your guy on an island with Julio Jones. See, that's, if I see that, you're an idiot. That's the thing that's scaring me about you saying that Atlanta's last opponent was, was an attacking D that they kept getting up the field. Because how many times have we seen Jim Schwartz run an all-out blitz, leave no help right. over the top? But 
Well, how many times do I need to tell everybody that all out blitzes with nobody over the top are fucking stupid? No, I know, but I'm saying, but like you but unfortunately, you're not the defensive coordinator, you know? Like so, but here here's the problem: is I watch I watch Dick LeBeau rush, uh, bring three people in pressure and drop eight. I watch um, uh, New Orleans into the game, bring three and drop eight because you need to drop more guys, and then they still get pressure. And I watch the Eagles, and they leave three and blitz eight. And I'm like, dude, this is why I'm if, – if Jim Schwartz goes to the Giants, I'm okay. Because I, I don't think he's that great of a coach. I think it's not that hard to be a great defensive coach when you have the talent that the Eagles do on defense, namely Fletcher Cox. Like, Jim Schwartz in his, in his coaching stints has had Indomitian Sue – uh, Fletcher Cox and uh, Marcel Darius in his first two years. Like he's always had an elite defensive tackle. I just don't think that his defensive scheme is that great. Okay. I just think I just think he blitzes a lot, and sometimes it works. But I do think this is a good matchup. It's a lot better than either of the other two, um, Vikings and Saints. And I, I have a feeling that Kyle will bet on the Saints. Um, but the other playoffs, you know, New England and Tennessee, it's a joke. Jacksonville, Pittsburgh, I think will be a joke too. I think those will be somewhat disappointing. Um, we'll wait, we'll wait to talk football when Kyle gets back, just cause I know he's going to be very opinionated on it. Um, Sixers, they've been yes, looking the, good. The sport where you bounce the ball on wood. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, they destroyed the crap out of the Pistons. Can um, where do you stand on this team? So let me let me just I, I loved it. So first of all, that was the night of the bottle swap, where oh, where we yes. got to once again have investor Jeff and writer Phil Keidel. Um They didn't really go back and forth as much as I'd hoped they would. Um, it, it's really hard to call Brett. What is Phil, is Phil an investor too? No, Phil's a writer. Um, it it's really really hard to uh, call Brett Brown Pete McCannon when the Sixers win, what was it, 114-78. to 78. Um, There was something that made me really happy in that game, and it was watching Stan Van Gundy get ready to pull out the remaining hair that's on his head. I know Jeff is the really bald one, but Stan can't have much left if his team continues to play like that. So in 2014, Stan Van Gundy was one of the biggest vocal uh, opposers of the the process and what the Sixers were doing. For those who forget, in 2014, at the while speaking at the Sloan Sports Conference in Boston, he took a shot at the Sixers. He said, not what Philadelphia is doing right now, which is embarrassing. I don't care. Adam Silver can say there's no tanking or, what, or what's going on, but if you're putting that roster on the floor, you're doing everything you, you can possibly do to try to lose. So he said that. And in, in other years, he's also made a few kind of passive remarks about not liking what the Sixers were doing. Well, the Sixers, you know, destroyed his team. And all Stan Van Gunny had to say after the game was, that was total domination from start to finish. We didn't have a good two-minute stretch in the game. What disappoints me most? Just put a list out there. We got absolutely destroyed. I don't know if I've ever felt more vindicated as a fan of the process than I did in that moment. I feel, right. I I feel pretty great. I remember he did a radio interview recently, too, in which he said the process was crap. Oh, yeah, that was the one at the beginning of the season where the uh, the – the Detroit radio host, I think, kind of like ambushed him about a few things. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, like, it, look, Detroit has played 
a lot better than I think anybody expected them to. Even after that loss, they're 20 and 17. But you've got to remember, this is where I think like, I know a lot of people don't like to get into the analytics of stuff or they don't, you know, people like to, to go with the eye test and that's fine. I think the Sixers still to this point have played the uh, the highest strength of schedule against and they're 500. Um, some some good happy stats to make you feel good and sleep well at night. The Sixers right now as a team are first in the NBA in rebounds per game. They're third in assists per game behind Golden State and New Orleans. And uh, in like a, I guess, a, a little bit less common stat, deflections per game. Uh, they rank third in the league. Here's the one that I thought was the most surprising, though. They are fifth in the NBA. It might be sixth after last night, but they're fifth in the NBA on NBA.com in clutch wins. So games where it got into a clutch situation, the Sixers have 14 wins, which, again, puts them fifth in the league. It's really interesting. Like, the the team is kind of coming around, um, and, and it is nice to see them. Well, no shit. Well, I, I'm just, you know. Up. Well, hold on. I mean, oh, no, Russ. Hold on, Russ. Let me. Hey, Kyle. What's up, Russ? Here's my main question, and I feel like you weren't on here the last time I brought this up. My main question for all processors, and I know you're a processor, is how can y'all preach patience for five years and then this season have such little patience? I don't know if it's all the processors. I'm like, I think there, like, there's the spike and Mike group who are happy to kind of sit back and, and watch everything on, you know, um, watch every like young player develop and have little to no expectations because we're just used to it. And I think there's like a group that's more in the middle, like me, who is kind of like back in on this team. Like there's a difference. Be- but do you think because you bet me that they were going to get to the playoffs is the reason that you were expecting more? No, I, I expected more because I think that if you have a team that has Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons playing in most games that that you shouldn't have had a uh, nine out of ten loss streak in the season because that's that's this. the kind of stuff that the Flyers do. Now, granted, the Flyers yeah, won again last night, but like I, I think I, like what separates a good team from a bad team? A bad team loses nine out of ten games, and like yeah, it's not I think just what you. Was with this game was that because Simmons and B could play, and the Eastern Conference sucked. Everyone was like, "Oh, the Sixers could take advantage of it right now." And I have a feeling that at the end of the year, we're going to look and they're going to finish with like 30-something wins and they're going to make the playoffs. And the people just get so caught up in the stretches and social media makes it so ridiculous to watch people reacting to individual performances and little streaks that like the, the woe is me and the sky is falling to me just seems ridiculous because you know that it's temporary. This like, is, but see, like in, you're a very smart sports fan, but and I don't know why you fall for that shit. Because in in the same way that I think it was it was like it was fair to say that when Carson Wentz was still playing, that everything was breaking the right way for the Eagles to to get a number one seed. Like I think if we're honest, if the entire conference had stayed healthy, right? Like Aaron Rodgers' Green Bay team very well may have challenged you for that number one seed. Like there were other teams in this league or in this conference that I think it would have been fair to say could have been challenging or could have gotten the number one seed over Philly. I think that would have been fair if everything had been healthy. In the same way, I look at what happened to the Eastern Conference with a a high degree of of talent jettisoning or being jettisoned for the Western Conference, and it created a vacuum. And the Sixers are a team who, even as incomplete as they are, when we are going into the season still thinking that Markel Fultz was going to be playing, that's where I think so many of the high expectations came from. 
You know, like I wasn't saying that I thought they were going to finish fourth in the conference without Fultz. That was that was uh, at least partially based on on Fultz playing, which he hasn't. So, like, I think that's where people like me who are process trusters but also expect the team to be competitive. It's not necessarily because I'm just putting unrealistic expectations on the team. It's because the Eastern Conference is bad. And we knew going into the season that they were going to be bad. Like, Indiana did not expect Victor Oladipo to be a stud. But he's turned out to be a much better player. But, like, I still don't think they're as good as they would have been with Paul George. Jimmy Butler goes out to Minnesota. Like, the the list goes on and on. But, like, the the level of, of competitive teams or the, the number of competitive teams in this conference has gone down. So there's no reason that the Sixers in the second half of the season, when they're not playing the, the highest strength of schedule against, shouldn't be able to get into the 40s. Now, it might be the low 40s. They might still finish below 500. Right, but, that, but that's why, so, for people that are so based in analytics to not see the strength of schedule and the fact they're playing West Coast teams, why was there still a Sixers fallout from a group of people that are always looking at the long game? Because they were losing to teams they shouldn't lose to. Like, it's it's yeah. it's fair if you're losing to Cleveland, if you're losing to Boston, if you're losing to... Golden to, to Golden State, like that's fine. But they had a stretch where they were losing to the Bulls. They lost to the Kings. Like they got I'm blown in, out. I'm coming blown up twice late. by the Raptors. So your, like, uh, what are we uh, picking on on Russ's take for? Did you predict them to go to like the conference finals? I'm hearing like the back half. Of no, your, it's uh, no, because so he's. Sure. I mean, he's he's fairly critiquing or questioning why people like me got thrown off, and and I guess. Like a few weeks ago, it was the sky is falling. Brett Brown sucks. Ben Simmons is a overgrown Ricky Rubio. Like everything well, was going to shit. And then they beat the Pistons by 30. And it's like, you know, this team has a chance. Well, and I the, was just saying that we're in a roller coaster ride of processors where for the last five years, they've said, no, we're fine. And I don't know why this year, all of a sudden, it's been very myopic. I think a lot of the Brett Brown needs to be fired people were the casual fans who came back well, I and i think and i think i think like, you have a really young like you know simmons on one hand Embiid is still really young though he's you know pretty much guaranteed to perform at a certain level every time he's in the lineup but young players whether it's freshman players in college or first two-year players in the pros they're just they're just not consistent Consistency is the hardest thing to come by. Even the most talented guys struggle to be consistent. It's the first time they're playing this sort of demanding schedule, especially on a team like the Sixers that isn't really well-established. It's not like you're plugging Tatum into the Celtics or something like that. Like, you have a lot of young guys, a lot of new pieces. And consistencies, you know, you got, like, this wider variance of performance. You could absolutely stink one night, but you have the talent level to be really terrific the next night and beat down on the Pistons. And I feel like we're, we're experiencing ex- that yeah. and and people sort of overreact, overreact in both directions. But I don't know. I don't think like – I don't think there's been that much hysteria in either direction save for the, you know, few – like I don't think anyone has like truly – there's not like these headhunters out for Brown. I think people question him when they lose, and I think that's fair just because we don't have much to go on. And I don't – there's no one penciling the Sixers into the finals either. So I'm not sure there's like, I, I don't think there's that many people who are that overreactive. It's just people aren't sure what to make of the you team. You know what? Like we're watching I'm the ba- season. I'm it's basing like, this solely off of. Are they succeed or out of the playoffs? I'm basing this solely off of the moments I've seen the Slack channel. 
because well, you have some people in there. Well, well, there's your problem. That's the that's the worst yeah. cross section so, to look at. Yes. I mean, it's it's polar. I mean, it's so polarized. When you evaluate rookies in any sport, you have to understand that there is variance. And in that variance, what I look at is what is the limits of their potential? Because they're going to show you the outer reaches of their greats. And we've seen that from Simmons. We've seen some games where it's, oh, wow, that was an easy triple-double, and then he played really well. And then what happens is, is people see the shitty game and they think that that could be him too. I, when, I, I either trust a rookie or I don't. And Simmons is a guy I trust. So when I trust a guy... I am looking for, okay, what are the outer reaches of your potential? And then can you replicate that? And so I, I mean, you do have people on that Slack chat that are saying that Ben Simmons is crap. And I just, it, it befuddles me. Like, I really don't understand it. And that's probably the energy that I'm bringing this morning. Yeah, I, I think that, I think that might be the worst place to, uh, to, yeah, I'm gonna to gauge. To, uh, guys, I think I'm going to get out of it, to be honest. It's really bad. It makes you upset. You got it does make me upset. Yeah, I there there are most game days I now stop paying attention to Slack. I just wait. I just sit back and I wait until this, this until things kind of play relatable. out. But so like I, I guess like I keep doing that thing today, I don't know why. Um one of the things that I, I think is worth pointing out is the fact that like the team didn't rely as heavily on the three in that last game. Now they did jack up a few. Uh Covington Covington went three for five. He looks like he might be bouncing back. Reddick goes three for eight. Um, but, like, Dario's shooting a higher percentage from three now. This is exactly what I think we've been saying for a while he needs to do. He needs to be a guy that can become at least a somewhat reliable spot-up three. If he can shoot anywhere near 40% from uh, from the four in that starting lineup, that gets you off to an even better start. And, like, it makes them, I guess, a lot more... Uh, a lot more dangerous down the stretch. It actually gives Dario a purpose for being on the floor um, because so much of his offense comes from inside the paint where usually you have Joel set up. But if you look at the Eastern Conference standings right now, the Sixers are in ninth at 19 and 19. The Pacers with Victor Oladipo playing out of his mind are only up on you by a half game. The Pistons, who you just clobbered, are in seventh. The, the Bucks with Giannis are sixth after an early season stretch where everybody was saying that Giannis should be MVP. And the Miami Heat are easily playing above their weight. I don't know if their strength of schedule is, but they're 22 and 17, and the Heat don't have much to, to show. So, like, realistically... I like the Heat. I like Dion Waiters. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, I guess it's nice to have one fan. Um, but, like, they are not a, a, such a skilled team that they're going to finish in fifth in the East. So, like, if I'm looking forward, like, you're still going to owe me money. They're not the Sixers are not going to crack the top four. Um, I thought that the Toronto Raptors were going to struggle, at least a little bit, and they they certainly have not. They've reasserted themselves as as a you know one of the class top three teams in the conference. But even the Wizards, for a team that has rolled back, they brought back I think all five starters plus added a few other vets. They're in fourth, and and they really haven't been all that dominant. Now they've been good about against the Sixers, but in fairness, the stretches that they've beaten the Sixers in. Pretty much everybody else has too. I think even Sacramento yeah. was like bookending those those wins. There, there's plenty of of positivity of positive things to look forward to in the second half of the season. They're gonna make the playoffs. You're gonna owe me money, and everything's gonna of be course. great. That makes sense. I want to go back to football with Kyle in a second, but Russ, where are like? Let me get like a quick little recap on the Flyers because I feel like you haven't been complaining as much lately. 
No, I haven't been because they've been winning. It's just, you know, you get, I got to stop doing that. Um, it's, it's just like the Sixers or the Flyers have, have had a, a pretty solid stretch. Um, since losing to the Penguins, they've gone two and one. Um, they, they drudged the Islanders, which we talked about. They then went out and won six, three over the blues. And, uh, yesterday they beat the Sabres four to one. There's really not a much of a rhyme or reason for doing what they're doing. I still have a feeling that, um, Hextall is trying to tank. He just doesn't want to admit it. But like some of the moves that he's made calling up guys from the minors, it was Tyler Goldborn uh, was one of them. They they don't seem to be making or pushing the right buttons for a team that that wants to I don't know, make the most of of like being able Let me rephrase this. This is awful. The Flyers are in a place where the expectations I think are so low because of that that awful stretch they had early in the season of what was it, nine or ten straight losses, that they actually did have the flexibility to go out and, and put a bunch of their young prospects on the ice. And nobody would have thought twice about it. Like, I think they very easily could have given some of those guys their lumps. And we've said before, like, the Sandheims of the world who haven't, you know, been everyday guys starting in, in favor of guys like Brandon Manning. Um, I think, like, they could be calling up a Philip Myers, they can call up a Sam Moran, and get those guys some very valuable reps knowing that like this team is not going to compete for a Stanley Cup this year. Now they might sneak into the playoffs. It's it's entirely possible. Although I I don't really see a scenario where they end up ahead of like a Pittsburgh, even though Pittsburgh's having a bad season. I, I think my expectations for the Flyers have just kind of gone to nothing. And so when they win it's great and when they lose it's just kind of what I'm used to. But I'd like to see them get a few other young guys up. I know that they do have an infusion of youth. I know they're rolling out quite a few rookies. Um, but like, if you're going to look to develop Nolan Patrick to be the, the star center of the future to take over after Giroux is gone or something like that, then like, I, I think he needs to be coupled with better players on his, uh, on his unit, on his line. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like here's, I'm here's another thing about the flyers. Um, you know, cause we're kind of sitting here trying to figure out what direction they're going in. And I don't think enough in sports, um, unless someone is really out in front of the camera, is made of ownership. And that's not to say the Flyers have bad ownership at the moment, but for you know, we're accustomed up until the last two and a half years of having Ed Snyder, an owner who every single season was pushing whoever was making decisions for him all the way down to the locker room. I mean, one of the most hands-on owners in sports for that team to be in, in contention that year. And the few off years where they were not, um, there was a, almost like a panic level that they needed to get back there. And right now, like to me, there is nobody. There's nobody actually in charge of the Flyers. It's just Comcast, and they've tapped, Ooh. I think, Dave Scott to sort of run it. But no one really knows exactly how so much. So where's the pressure coming from? Right. Yeah. Not exactly. even pressure. Just sort of like direction. There's no pressure on Hextall to to make the right call-ups and there's really no pressure on Hextall because he doesn't really have to feel the pressure from Hextall because Hextall is not feeling pressure. Right. Like, so Hextall's, you know, kind of given, I think, free reign to do what he wants with the team. And I, I don't, that's, that doesn't mean that's a bad thing. He's clearly sort of trying to, I guess, rebuild while also maintaining competitiveness. So that's fine. But it's just like, I think we're all expecting, well, you know, soon the Flyers will have some of these young guys in place and they'll go out and, you know, make a splash or whatever. But 
that might be an old old line of thinking because I don't know, like it just feels like to me there would be more urgency and I'm not longing necessarily for the days of Ed Snyder, but I do think there would be more urgency to figure out our, what are we going to do with our vets? Like, can we figure out a way to move on from these guys? And if not, then why aren't we just going ham doing everything we can um, to potentially put them in a position to have a, a fluke playoff run, which is something Snyder would have done. I don't think that is the smart thing to do, but like there's, there is just this they're void of leadership. Like There are not many other teams that are just owned by a company who has just tapped someone to be like, yeah, you're going to run the team for a little while. And like, I've gotten the sense just from like talking to people and stuff is that, yeah, like, you know, like I think it's Dave Scott on behalf of Comcast is sort of running the team, but I don't know if there's really like, um, like much of a, much of a direction there. Like that's the, I don't know. I, I, I could be wrong on that, but that's just my no, like two that's... cents. It, we're going to find out like how much Snyder meant to the Flyers when it is time for them to compete and, and seeing how they operate. That's pretty spot on. Uh, I got to go. So really quick, we've got two iTunes reviews that we haven't read on air. One was from December 20th. Uh, it says, awesome, five stars. Awesome podcast, guys. Insight and hysterical. Makes the first hour of work fly by. Wish it was Monday to Friday. Shout out to Robbie D. A foul! And uh, a new one, January 5th, Funny and Good Listen, five stars by Peter Brown, 215. Good content with some humor. Thought it was funny. The one dude walked out on the show a couple episodes ago. Keep up the good work. Walk out I did, and walk out I will now. Don't forget, Carlinos, Ardmore, Thursday night, 7 to 9, live show. It'll be fun. Food. And as always, as we like to talk about, a $500 Super Bowl party catering giveaway be in attendance we'll raffle it off it'll be great kyle i feel like we have another sponsor that we need to read yeah uh, we got to talk about our friends over at americas it's like eight degrees out i think it's actually a little bit warmer today uh i am someone who has propane uh propane heating propane accessories uh so propane has quite literally saved my winter um the folks over at americas uh, the nation's number one uh, propane provider available at over 55,000 locations. They want to be your, they want to power every ta- sports tailgate in the country. I'm confident that we can say that. So you might hear this and say, well, I never thought much about what sort of propane brand I buy. You should go to Home Depot or 7 Eleven and pick up your Amerigas tanks locally because the folks at Amerigas, they are giving away to Crossing Broad readers and Crossing Broadcast listeners $500. Uh, tailgating experience. So what does that include? You go to crossingbroad.com backslash Amerigas, enter your name, email, and zip code. That's it. So I got to enter. It takes like five seconds, and you will be entered to win uh, a portable gas grill, a portable heat lamp, like a miniature version of those ones you see, uh, you know, at outdoor patios at bars, uh, two tailgate chairs with a rain hood, just in case, a hose to hook everything together, and $200 worth of Crossing Broad store apparel uh, in the form of, of a gift card. So you could choose you could choose what it is that you want. Uh, so all you got to do to enter, all you'll have to do after the fact, if you win, is, is buy the propane and maybe some hot dogs, slap it on the grill, and now you have your tailgates or outdoor events partied. So folks in Amerigas are really trying to break into the, or I'm sure they're already well in here, they're trying to reach the sports fan who uh, is out and mobile and need, will need to power devices, and they want to be your propane provider of choice. So we thank them for sponsoring the show, uh, and we're looking forward to another cool contest we have coming up with them after next week when the drawing for this um, tailgate 
giveaway goes away. Uh, we're going to be asking people to go outside, look at their grill, or go out and, and even better, buy one, get an Amerigas tank, find an Amerigas tank, take the most glorious, best filtered, best hashtagged Instagram picture of your Amerigas tank, and we will have another really cool prize to give away for whoever takes the best, most ridiculous Amerigas propane tank picture. Uh, we'll have more details on that after this one closes, but thanks to the friends at Amerigas for sponsoring the show. Adam, I, uh, there's nothing like going to bed, uh, listening to uh, Oprah's presidential speech, and then waking up hearing uh, hearing Russ's wake-up call, neither of which are, are favorable ways to bookend the night's sleep, but uh, yet that was my evening last night. Man, yeah, that was a hell of a speech. It was a good speech, was and it was, it's, getting, it's getting good feedback. I don't know if she would make a good president, but... It was a good speech, and uh, it's it ridiculous seems to be all that matters. that's even a thought. It's but but look, she was sitting there, and The Rock was sitting there, and that's that's a whole another conversation. But it was an incredible speech, and it was telling telling pretty much men, your time has come. Um, Eagles Falcons. I was telling Russ that Carson Wentz's value has been upgraded from four and a half to seven. Uh, from Vegas, and that's why they're now three-point underdogs. Who would you bet on right now? Is it currently at three? Because it opened at two and a half. Uh, let's say it's three. If it's three, I'm I'm definitely. I think I'm on the Eagles regardless here. Um, I think I might. Be I did two. not. It makes sense. The Carson Wentz value has gone up. Is that um, is that verified, or is that just? Because the line has no, moved from it. potential predic- predictions like two weeks ago. No, I was reading it on Vegas sites this okay. morning. Uh, that yeah, that the, because of Nick Foles' plays, Carson Wentz values has gone up. Yeah, I think that makes sense, and I think that's fair. Uh, I was a little surprised to see them as a two-point underdog. I thought we were going to be looking at something closer to a pick'em, or even the Eagles yeah. as a slight favorite. Um, you know, certainly under three points. So on a neutral field, the Falcons being a favorite. I don't know. Um, I guess it's a fair line. They've they've looked really bad, um, but I don't hate this spot at all. I know we talked about the Falcons being a little bit scary because they're playing better at the end of the season. Um, I don't know. To me, their defense has been carrying them a little bit, and it could turn into a little bit of a defensive battle, and if that's the case, I will take the home field, and I will take the fact that the offense can't possibly, at least maybe I'm just telling myself this, the offense can't possibly be as bad as it has been. Um, I don't know. I also don't I, – I don't trust Matt Ryan. There's enough of a book on him where, again, this is this is going to be hashtag like take season here, but I, I don't I don't feel confident in Matt Ryan in, in pressure and him coming up – Cold weather, definitely a little bit of a concern, although I don't know if we have an exact weather report for next next weekend yet, or at least an accurate one. Right. But coming up in the cold, playing in front of his hometown, um, I don't know. that Matt Ryan is not the guy I'm banking on in that situation. So if nothing else, that actually makes me feel a little bit good. Uh, that this is his home, and there's going to be 50 family members in attendance, and we're going to get we're going to get camera shots of his crew huddled there with Falcons gear. Like I, I actually think that works in the Eagles' favor because I don't know. I Matt Matt Ryan has never inspired a lot of confidence in me, so that's that's a take I know, but um, no, it's not a take, dude. I got into an argument last week at Bleacher Report with this guy 
that was professing his love for Matt Ryan. And I said, do you realize that he's one of the most average quarterbacks of all time? And I know it's so funny because he hits all these records. He's the fastest to whatever. And I would say, well, that's just the natural evolution of the game and the fact that he had Kyle Shanahan for two years and the fact that he was the third pick in the draft uh, on a stacked team that the only reason they had the third pick was because Bobby Petrino and Mike Vick went to jail. Like, that's the reason he was on such a good team with Julio Jones and Roddy White. But I I don't have a lot of faith in the Falcons' offense, especially after the Rams game when Farrow Cooper fumbled twice and gave him the ball in good field position. Uh, and a motivated Eagles defense? Like, dude, I just... The Eagles, they're going to have to get some help, whether it's special teams, Kenyon Barner, or maybe a defensive touchdown, but... I don't know. I I still am not that sold on the Falcons. I really am not. Yeah, I agree. And we talked about this, I think, before week one. It's not the same team. Kyle Shanahan is not there. They've struggled to replicate, um, certainly offensively, what they did last year. Matt, I mean, passing-wise, Matt Ryan's yards per attempt was, like, elite, unsustainable last year. I think over, like, nine, nine-and-a-half yards per attempt. He's down – think a full at least as of a few weeks ago a full couple of yards per game yeah. he's never done that as right and I'll, I'll dig into i'll have the stats for wednesday show i should have had them for today but that is definitely down the running game is not anything close to what it was last year um julio jones had trouble finding the end zone this year i mean part of that you could just consider like random incidents but um you know he is he is very hit or miss. I mean, obviously, when he hits, he there's 200 yard, two or three touchdown games. But when he misses, you know, he is not like he's an elite receiver who has like wild swings in in huge upside, and you know, occasionally just um, you know, like not not impacting the game the way I think his talent level should. But I agree with you on yeah. everything you said. And Matt Ryan, dome team, elite receiver. Great offensive coordinator, uh, and they peaked last year, and and they peaked sometime in the third quarter of the Super Bowl, and since then they they haven't been the same group. But impressed that they yeah. beat the Rams. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you. I think this winds up being a defensive game, and that's fine. Like if, if you're going to come perfect. in here and we had a face in offense, I would prefer I would prefer the Falcons over the Saints, Saints certainly, yeah. and over the Rams who are now out of it. And as it's turning out. Say they win, you're most likely going to have Falcons and Vikings to beat, and both of those games hopefully should be defensive battles. And I think that's the way it had a break for the Eagles here because they're not outscoring anybody. So the Ram- yeah. potentially playing the Rams and Saints would be a uh, you know would be a score fest. You'd have to put up some points, and if the Vikings are able to beat the Saints, then that's not going to be the case. So, like for people for a little perspective on the Rams Falcons game, the reason the Falcons are here. The Falcons were outgained by the Rams. They were outpassed by the Rams, and they only outrushed the Rams by nine yards. The difference in the game was that the Rams had two turnovers, like I said, both from Farrow Cooper, and Atlanta controlled the clock, time of possession, 37 to 22. There are, there are a few things in the NFL that you cannot bet on that I do not believe are... Um, like trending like you can't and, and two of them are time of possession and turnovers because it's just they, they they're too viral they can go all over the place turnovers you cannot bet on 
I don't think they're going to have a plus two turnover margin against us. I think the Eagles are a very good turnover team. And also time of possession, I'm telling you, that first drive of the second half, they just moved down the field. The Eagles are not the same thing as the Rams. You can run on the Rams. You cannot run on the Eagles like that. Like everyone was like, oh my gosh, this is awful after the Raiders game when they when Marshawn had some success. The Cowboys wanted to run so bad on the Eagles and they couldn't do it. The Eagles, I think, I really think the Eagles defense is going to come to play. The more, And I'm really hoping this line continues to grow. If it grows, man, I might actually bet some real money on it. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, if as a neutral observer, if I see a line like this and I see it moving away from the home team, I take that as yes. a bad sign for the home team. So I don't want to discount that. Um, right. I will. Well, I will say that Vegas bet Eagles early. The sharps. It came out at three, and then the early money went on Eagles, and it came down to two and a half. Yeah. So I, for Wednesday, once we get a few more days of betting, um, the yeah. guys over at Sports Insight. Um, yeah, you love and Bet Lab, Chad Millman, those guys put together excellent breakdowns of uh, where the money's coming from. Not only the percentage of bets, but also the percentage of money, which do a good mm. job of showing you how the sharps are betting against the public. Now, a lot of sharps yeah, bets come in public. late, so you see some like late swings. <laughs> but uh, if nothing else, you kind of get a sense for where the money differs from public sentiment. So I'll be interested to see that for this game. There's it, probably some data out now, but by Wednesday, they'll certainly have more, uh, more concrete data and the line should be hammered more into place. Because, you know, like... I wrote about this last week, and I, I think this is true for Vegas. Like, you do a post. Typically, you can you could find themes when you're looking at betting odds or whatever. But right. as, as disparate as public sentiment is right now with the Eagles, at numbers and odds and, and polling is pretty much the same, like, all over the place when it comes to the Sharps. Like, in terms of odds, the Eagles are tied for second to make the Super Bowl. Yet they would be, like, there's another set of numbers that shows, well, they're, they would be an underdog against every team in the AFC, except for the Titans right. and someone else. Um, and then there's another set of numbers that said they play, you know, in, they played 10,000 simulations using stats and and adjusted for strength of schedule. And the Eagles had the second or third best chance to win the Super Bowl. But then you realize that those stats that they're throwing into these exactly. algorithms are factoring in 13 games of 14 games of Carson Wentz. And it's like, well, you know, which which number set do you believe? And like, that's that's the problem. No one knows what to expect from the Eagles because they obviously have looked pretty terrible since Wentz went out, yet they've won two of those three games. And, you know, it, it, one, one of the games was completely meaningless. And they were in the midst, they were coming off a long, tough road stretch. Like, there's just so many weird variables that no one could sit here and confidently say what to expect because no one has any idea. And you can't plug awesome. in past numbers and say, well, we get a baseline for what this team is because, as you said, like the worth of Carson Wentz has gone up another three points in the eyes of Vegas because no one knows. Like we're just trying to determine how much of an impact he had on the offense. Was that just a weird late season swoon, or was it all entirely because Carson went out? And maybe it's both. I'll tell you what, Todd Gurley being eliminated, it's more credence to the fact that Carson Wentz should win MVP because look, everything was bouncing his way all year, but for Todd Gurley to lose in the first round too, I don't know if the voting has already been. That's cast. what I was going to ask. Is it like baseball where it's cast in like the last day of the season? I just know that Carson could win it. You know, like you can make an argument for 13 games, 
uh, because I don't think Brady has been that great. And I don't think that I think Gurley had a great end of the year. And I thought he had a very good year overall, but I didn't think he was the MVP or even had a chance until Carson got hurt. You know, like until we said, well, who else could it be? I would love Carson to get it. I think that'd be really, really special. I just don't know. Well, this, who do you like? Who, oh, what were you going to say? This is like that. It's the classic MVP argument. Do, P, do you take the phrase super literally or do you give it to the all-around best player? And I don't think... I don't think in any sport or any group of writers or any vote has has truly settled on the best way to dole out this award. In my no. in my opinion, it should be who's the best player in the league that year. I think that's. And I think it was Carson. Yeah, and but I would also say that he's valuable because, and I'm not going to do that whole thing, but he got the Eagles the first first uh, like he gave them a chance to to get to the Super Bowl because his performance got them the first seed, even without him for three games. Right, but I, yeah, like I guess I would put more stock in in the second part of that. Like, do do I think Carson Wentz is the best player in the NFL, or he was the best player just straight up in the NFL this year? I, I don't know. I, you could definitely make an I argument do. for it. I think he was. But uh, well, okay, it's fine. And like, I think there's arguments on both sides of the fence there. But where I think it really becomes tough to argue is, like, clearly, I think we're seeing that he was the most valuable player to his team. At least if you're going to you know, only let, allow that to qualify for teams that are successful. You know, and that's why there's so many ways to define this award. And people will say, well, so-and-so's team won seven games, but they would have won two without him. Or it's like, all right, well, you, you can't give it to a guy who had a losing record. But I, I don't know. To me, like seeing a team that is that is outperforming expectations, is performing as the best team in the league for 80% of the season, and then in one fell swoop, the quarterback goes down, and the next three weeks they are just a, a shell of their former selves and worth seven points in, in gambling lines. Um, to me, that tells you that that he was clearly the most valuable player to his team this year. Uh, whether or not he was the best and how people vote on it, I guess, is, is up for debate. But I am fully on board that he should get consideration, and obviously, as a homer, I think he should win because um, – you know, it was it was pretty remarkable what this team did this year for those fourteen yes. games. Because uh, no hey, no one you know, no one seriously really expected this. We expect the Eagles might be pretty decent this year if all went well, and all didn't even go well. They lost their they lost their most dynamic offensive player. They lost their starting left tackle, and not only did they absorb those things, they they got better after those things happened. And you you have to credit the quarterback. Hey, so uh, Todd Gurley ran for 100 yards in the Falcons. Did you know that there was only one running back in the regular season to rush for over 100 yards against the Falcons this season? Do you know who it was? Uh, no, I don't. Jay Ajayi. Mm, oh, that's right. I did read that the other day. It's a good yeah. one. Uh, all right, let me hear your picks for the divisional game. Do you have them already? Uh, I, I don't, but if you want to throw the time slots at me, so we're starting with Eagles-Falcons. I'm going to go... Eagles-Falcons. Are we doing lines or are we doing straight up? Uh, let's just do straight up. We could do lines later. Okay. Straight up, uh, I'll go with the Eagles. Ooh. All right, Saturday night, Titans at Patriots. <laughs> Wait, sorry, you dropped out. Go ahead. Titans at Patriots. Moving on. No, that'd be Patriots. Easy. Um, I don't remember the order. I think it's uh, Steelers, Jaguars. It one. is. I don't know if the Jaguars here. Yeah, you're a nut job, dude. That de- that defense is very good. What did you think of Blake Bortles? He stinks. 
but it doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, their defense is so good that here's here's how I look at it. So they played in week five, and um, Blake they beat the Steelers thirty to nine, and Blake Bortles threw for ninety five yards. So that's there, right? Like you're like, oh wow, they could easily do that, and Blake Bortles already played like shit. But the Steelers also Big Ben threw two pick sixes and five interceptions overall. I just don't think there's any chance, and it's going to be in the cold. Like, I, I think I'm going to go Steelers. Right, but they don't need but to I win do, thirty to nine. I mean, they defense. can win ten to nine. So, I mean, you don't need five picks. You can get away with yeah, two. That Steelers, that Steelers line of seven is interesting. That might be a little high. They're seven point favorites. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd be all. I don't know. I don't like the line. Tells me otherwise, but I, I would. I would put money on the Jaguars there. That seems high yeah. for defense. It's that good. I'd like to see if Le'Veon Bell, though, just went off. That would be nice. Um, also, Leonard Fournette had like a 90-yard touchdown run in that game, which I don't think would happen again because I don't think Leonard's been the same since his injury. Um, and then the Sunday afternoon game, which is, uh, in essence, our bowl, which is the Adam Lefko was telling you about these teams, bowl, Saints and, and Vikings. Who are you going with, Kyle? You're definitely going Saints. Uh, you definitely go Saints. I don't know if I'm going Saints. I would bet all the money in the world that you would pick the Saints. In this now game. you're tempting me to just take the Vikings, which is perfect because then you're on my side. Uh, I'm going Vikings. I mean, I, I gun to head, I go Vikings. Gun to head, I go Vikings. I don't, I don't, I, I don't just know. don't. I think that's a tough, that's a, that's a tough haul, um, for the Saints. I don't know. I, I mean, this team's equipped to win on the road, but they yesterday. run the ball effectively. The Vikings are good against the run. Like, I, I don't uh, – yeah, I mean, I will go with the Vikings. But the Saints scare me against the Eagles more than they scare me against the Vikings. I don't like – to I me, agree. the Saints are I more agree. frightening to me because I, I have visions of of Kamara just evading tacklers. I have visions of Ingram just pounding the ball six yards at a time and visions of Drew yeah, Brees but, just picking apart a saggy defense, and that scares me more than anything. Outside. But, it's Brees outside. No, I, I understand that, and it's not completely rational. But, to, like, the yeah. Philadelphia sports fan, part of my brain that remembers, like, just dreadful, frustrating playoff performances in all sports is more scared of what the Saints can throw at us than what the Vikings can throw at us. Yeah, I know what you mean. You know? Like, I feel like yeah, we could win a 10-9 to game against the Vikings, whereas a Saints game, you're going to need Nick Foles to put up 24 points, and I, I'm not confident. I agree. Like, the Vikings had a game, one of their only losses this year to the Panthers, which is how the Eagles would have to do it, where the Vikings had a few, like, really dumb fumbles. They had a few bad penalties that extended Carolina drives. And then Carolina just popped off two big plays, a random Jonathan Stewart run and a big-ass Cam Newton run. And that was enough for them to get it done. And that's exactly what would have to happen for the Eagles against the Vikings. Whereas the Saints, I feel like eventually Drew Brees would sit there and go, I'm about to double move the fuck out of everybody. And I I do trust Case Keenum a lot more than other people, but that's not the way the Vikings were built, where the Saints were built to take advantage of that shit. And with the Vikings, you got, I mean, in, in I guess in either case, but with the Vikings, you got some level of, inexperience coming into a big game on the road like I, I all those little intangibles would would worry me more with the Saints who has someone like Drew Brees on the team um I don't know 
I it's it's very irrational. And Drew Brees in the cold doesn't scare me. We've spent all season talking about how the Saints could win on the road because they're running in defense, but I do think their defense is a little bit more hit or miss than the Yes, lately it's been a little bit all over the yeah. place. So I know I'm I'm arguing against myself here, but I I would still I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the what the Saints can throw at me just scare me more than the Vikings. That's the only it's it's not really even rational, but I definitely thought you were going to pick the Saints over the Vikings. No, no. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, but I'll, I'll go with the Vikings. That line has started moving towards the Saints, and I really hope it keeps going that way. Because I would love to get to, to be a smaller line for the Vikings. I, there was just something about watching the Saints celebrating yesterday that made me go, wow, the Vikings are going to be like a big advantage. I just... Whenever I see a team like releasing, like, do you remember last year in the NBA playoffs when John Wall jumped on the desk after a game six uh, game winner? Yeah. And then they lost in game seven to the Celtics. Yep. I, I immediately, when I saw that, I was like, oh, the Celtics are winning game seven. I just think when athletes release a ton of their frustration and stress into like joy, I think some of their edge goes away. Yeah, I think that's, that's just fair. I think there's, I there's precedent for that. Um, it did seem a little much for beating the Panthers at home. I know, yeah, I know it was a division rival, and like that's a clean sweep, like three games, and I know it meant a lot. But it's like, I don't know. I think you have the best team in the NFC coming up next, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a shitty fan that should that should be like, hey, stop celebrating a win. What did you uh, think of Sean Payton going for it on fourth down? It's he is the king of bad decisions that he doesn't have to answer for because his team holds on. Like that was a that was a really risky move. I understand it, um, and I think it's easy to call. I just I don't think I like the play call. I just don't understand. I, I just need the ball in Kamara's hands at all times. That's just kind of me. Yeah, I agree. I, like I think someone tweeted whatever the the metric is for fourth down field position and time, which typically does say go for it, especially anything like under fourth and five. It almost always errs in favor of going for it. Someone, Bill Barnwell retweeted this. Even that said you should punt in that situation, really? factoring in the time. Like it just, uh, like I, I'm on board with the, the, the whole going for it, playing the odds thing. But you, we go back, this goes back to the fourth and eight with the Eagles earlier in the season. Like uh, you have to have some semblance of time, score, momentum, and situation that a simple math problem can't can't take into account for. I mean, going for it on fourth down from midfield with less than a touchdown lead. Like I certainly understand why you want to do it. You know why you want to take that chance of just putting the game away. But first of all, to throw the ball downfield, like just needlessly ballsy. Yeah. Again, I get their thinking here. They're going to be bringing people at the line. We're going to have single coverage over top. Like I, I get what you're thinking, but Jesus Christ, just sometimes, sometimes I, I think you can overthink that stuff. Just punt the I, fucking football. Else... Make Cam Newton go against a, against your defense that you supposedly have confidence in. Go right. 85 yards, and if he could do that, then then they deserve to beat you. I don't like. They got a gift with the interception because at least it gave them an extra 20 yards. And in effect, it was just sort of a lousy punt, but dumb. I don't know. That's that overcoaching in my wild. opinion. You had, you had the interception that was not challenged, that should have been challenged, which would have been a 20-yard difference. 
You had the intentional grounding play, which changed the game. You had the no pass interference call on that bomb to Devin Funches where he claims that he lost it in the lights. Uh, and you have the fact that many believe that Cam Newton was concussed from two drives earlier and still played after he crumpled to his knee after walking off the field. It was just a, it was a wild game, and I think, like, there wasn't a challenge on the Jaguars' touchdown that I definitely thought would have been challengeable, and it definitely seems like Al Riveron was like, I am not going to be the news story this week. Like, I am not challenging anything on the field. So are you buying the um, the Cam Newton contact thing? I don't know. I think he had no idea where he was. I think he was completely concussed. When he got hit, he did not know he was going to get hit. Like, he stood up into a 300-pounder destroying his face. I think he was concussed. So what was the I, – I wasn't following along on updates last night. I've seen people tweeting that, oh, man, he, he, he just lost a contact because he was squinting. Was there any- – There were arguments that he was squinting and that uh, that people were saying, oh, well, he got poked in the eye – and all that stuff, like that was the. I think his coach said that he got poked in the right. eye. Right now, I would I would encourage much. people to go look at photos and video from when he was on a knee on the field and had three doctors around him with his head tucked back and three doctors with their hands on his shoulders looking concerned. That doesn't happen when you lose a contact. You sprint off the field and and uh, recklessly search around. Just for look a, at the uh, hit. Just look at the actual hit. No, I know it's. Yeah, I, I as soon as he went down, I was at my uh, my wife's aunt aunt and uncle's. I don't I don't know what the word is. That uncle in laws. I don't even know what you call that. Um, no, no. So we're at their house. As soon as he go down, I look at my watch and I say, "All right, it's seven sixteen p.m. Let's count the real time minutes until he is fully recovered from what is clearly a or what certainly appears to be a concussion." And it was eleven minutes. It was eleven minutes from the time he went down to the time he came back in the game. I mean, it's just absurd. And then you look at, like, what happened with Tyrod Taylor yesterday. Obviously, he didn't come back. But, like, football football has such problems because you can't coach this stuff out of the game. And the NFL is, you know, trying to hide behind the fact of, you know, their protocol and that we're doing the right thing and all this stuff. And it just never works out. Like, at a certain point, you just got to own the fact to be like, these guys are going out there and damaging their brains every single week. Like, it's such a weird situation because we all love football, but the more you watch it, you're like, Jesus Christ, like, these guys are seriously, seriously injured. If that happened to any person on the street, like any person on the street who fall, hit, fell, hit their head on the sidewalk and was concussed like that, you'd want that person going to the hospital, right? In football, you know, it, it doesn't matter how big and strong a guy is. Your brain is your brain. And those guys are back out there 11 minutes later. It's 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 kind of gross. Like it makes you feel gross for watching it. I don't know. I appreciate them. Well, yeah, I, I, I like appreciate that. Sa- but I, like I you know, they are. I mean, you're also not in sound mind to make a decision. And I get it. Like you're, you've worked your whole career for the situation. You're in the NFL playoffs. You you know, you're going to go out there and you feel like you can stand up and throw the ball. Like I totally get their rationale, and. All, but all the incentives from the team to the player are all working towards, no, you have to go in and play. It's very hard to sit there and do a calculation on how could this screw me up in the future, like when you're in the heat of the moment, like no doubt about it. But it's, it, doesn't change, it doesn't change the fact that medically it, it's, it could be a very horrible thing that they're doing. Yeah. 
I don't know. Thanks for bringing it down to that. That that really made me feel sad. What's that? That really made me feel sad. Sorry. Are right, you ready to rock and roll? Yeah. Anything else from the weekend? No. Uh, how was the bottle swap? What did you get? So I came out of it, oh, bottle swap. So I came out of it with a uh, Woodford Reserve double oaked. Nice. Uh, I had put into it a, the Basil Hayden bourbon. Um, so Kevin Kincaid, I think, came out of it with my uh, with my Basil Hayden. Uh, Bob had brought the, the Woodford double oaked. It's, it's pretty good, not great. Uh, not my favorite bourbon, but it's definitely a little bit interesting, a little dark syrupy. Um, there was a couple of rye, some about a Brazel Hayden rye, which was very good. There was a local rye from, I forget the name of the brewer, uh, distillery somewhere near Allentown. Uh, yeah, there were some good ones. Uh, I was, no one brought an Angel's Envy. I thought about getting it. I thought of you, uh, but I went with the Basil Hayden. Just I think it was a little cheaper, and we had an under $50 price tag. Nice. Yeah. What, did Russ, what did Russ bring? Russ brought, see if you can guess what Russ brought. I don't know. I, I know. See if you can guess. And I'll say it's not like it, it wasn't like a bourbon or a whiskey or a, or a tequila. What is Cognac. Oh, cognac. A little Hennessy? Brought a cognac. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know who, who walked away with his. It may have been may have been Bob. Um, yeah, it was good. It was good times had by all. We had Carlino's food. Uh, nice. And we had a bottle swap. And we tasted nine different whiskeys. And uh, then swap the end. The only thing I was disappointed in is the swap wasn't very contentious. Um, everyone just sort of like there was no there was no bartering at all, except for between uh, Jeff and Coggin, who were just uh, like swapping out their two rise back and forth. But that was it. I was ex- I wanted a little bit more liveliness in the in the swap, but it is what it is. Damn. Well, I wanted contentiousness too. Yeah. Yeah, I filmed it. I have the whole thing on video, and then I was like, "Nah, this is really boring." I was, I wanted a fight. I wanted someone breaking a bottle over someone's head. Maybe next time. Yeah. All right. Well, Monday in the books. Russell is Joy on Broad. Kyle is Crossing Broad. I am at Adam Lefko. We have an entire week of being reminded that our number one seed in the NFC playoffs is an underdog. Hopefully they turn that into motivation. Got a few Sixers games coming up. Flyers, Russ will always keep you on point. And we'll be back on Wednesday with another edition of the Crossing Broadcast. As always, get your reviews into iTunes and we'll be sure to read them. Until then, holla at your boy and we'll see you Wednesday.